0: Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. This episode of Hey Soul Sister podcast is brought to you by the fabulous sponsor, What's On Newcastle. From the city of Newcastle, all you need to do is go to whatson.newcastle.newsouthwales.gov.au for all the best information about our city. Yes sisters, I have Amber Moncrief in the podcast studio today as our special guest. Hey Amber. Hey Mel, how are you going? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks my friend. Amber runs Hunter Plastic Surgery with her husband, Dr Nick Moncrief. Now on the Hey Soul Sister podcast, we're all about getting soulful and I was super keen to chat to Amber because as I've gotten to know Amber over the last few years, I've been really curious about how a lawyer, a feminist lawyer with an MBA and a mum of three boys ends up running a plastic surgery clinic. Okay my friends, so let's start the journey. How does a feminist lawyer end up running a plastic surgery clinic?
1: Yeah, it's a bit of an unusual one, isn't it? And I certainly, you know, when I was at school and at uni, if someone had said to me that, you know, in my mid-40s, this is what I'd be doing, I would have just laughed and that would have just been ridiculous. So in terms of the journey kind of going back, you know, I was working in Sydney, so I did law at, at law school, ended up being a tax officer. So yeah, pretty really? exciting stuff. I can hear the people turning off the podcast as we speak, but no, I'll give you all my tax
0: tips at the end. Well, it's funny because my dad, before he retired, was Assistant Commissioner of Taxation. Oh
1: my God. And yeah, my sister- he was one of the big
0: bosses. <laughs> <laughs> so I've grown up with tax all my life.
1: I actually love tax and I know this sort of sounds ridiculous, but look, it, oh, this is going to sound like my, I then became a Labor Party advisor. So this is what the Labor Party would say. That is... Tax is the price you pay to live in a civilised society. Anyway, let's not get too heavily into (laughs) politics. So look, I was doing that and ended up doing tax law and living in Canberra, then worked in Sydney, worked in banking and and sort of became a general manager in in communications and marketing there. And
0: tell me about how did you first meet Nick, your husband-to-be? Well, it's an interesting story. So
1: I sort of sometimes joke and say to people that we had an arranged marriage only because he is related to my sister-in-law. So we actually met on Christmas Day and we got along really well. And we, you know, talking about different things. And it just so happened that both you know his family were there and my family were there um and you know my mum was like oh Nick Moncrief he's just finished plastic surgery training but he knows nothing about business and you've got a law degree and are about to finish your MBA and I was like mum calm down you know like We're not having an arranged marriage here, but anyway, we we ended up. Um, you know, he he contacted me and, and sent me a text message. He finally got my number and sent me a text and said, "Oh, you know, if you do, I don't know if you remember me, it's Nick Moncrief here." And I was like, "Oh, Nick Moncrief, I've been googling you." I didn't say that, <laughs> but um, yeah. So we we went out. Um, in fact, I remember a couple of days before our first date, I was sitting there watching TV, and he popped up on TV. So he was on a show. This is at the end of his training called Saving Kids. And I guess I had some preconceived ideas about plastic surgery and probably not all favourable. And there he was. He was taking a screw out of a kid's hand who'd put it in a woodwork class. And then he was uh, helping some more senior plastic surgeons with a a child who'd come off a quad bike. And I remember watching him and he just has a lovely, lovely way about him. So, yeah, and we, we met and... We met up for that first date, and I guess I, you know, was sort of like, oh, look, we have to kind of get the elephant out of the room, in the room out, and and talk a bit about plastic surgery and I was like oh I just don't know about it you know the aesthetic side of it all you know and, and I sort of said oh you know breast implants uh. and he said well you know you speak with the arrogance of probably someone who's always been busty and I was like well yeah in fact I, I would probably like to go the other way go smaller and he was like yeah so you've never known the feeling of you know going and trying to buy a dress and it not fitting because there's darts in it Or the boys at school teasing you and calling you surfboard. Well, no, they tease me for other, you know, like it's that sort of thing. And he said, maybe if you had experienced that, your view would be different. And now I think, you know, particularly after having children and seeing your body change, my view is different. And the stories of even sometimes these quite young women and you hear what they have to say. I mean, we've done operations on young women with pigeon chests and and birth defects and you think, "Uh, who am I to judge? If it makes someone happy and it's safe... That's the big thing, and and it's and it's going to be long term. Then more power to you.
0: So when did you make the decision? Then you're a, a lawyer with an MBA. When did you make the decision to, I suppose, leave your profession and start managing or running the Hunter plastic surgery?
1: So Nick and I, so we'd met. We were living in Sydney. We moved in together. So I was working in the bank. I was a general manager in the marketing division, and. I was finding my job not particularly satisfying, like not really food for the soul stuff. Like I was extremely well paid. I, you know, had lots of responsibility. I had a big team, but I just wasn't kind of getting enough from it. And I said, oh, to him kind of almost jokingly, oh, maybe I should go back and do medicine. And he said, you would not cope. Like, people that have been very senior to go back and start right at the bottom and so I guess that this is the next best thing so he had uh he'd come up here he was helping out doing some work in the public and he said oh you know what about Newcastle and at first I was like oh no not Newcastle until I actually physically saw it so I think my idea was probably that year nine you know geography class and you the smokestacks or whatever and then we came up here I was like wow this is really beautiful and so yeah so we we looked at buying another surgeon's practice and that wasn't going to work out for us and I said oh do you know what I, th- I think I could do this and Nick was like oh no 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 you don't know anything about surgery but you don't need to know anything about surgery I've certainly learned a lot about surgery since then but what I needed to know about was running a business and running a team and doing marketing and doing finance and finding a place for us to set up the practice and fitting it out and then finding the next place the bigger place the more beautiful place and yeah. so all those sorts of skills so so it has really been a really good match of our respective skills. You know, Nick is an amazing surgeon and he gets to be an amazing surgeon without having to worry about all these other things. Not everyone is as lucky and yep. he knows that. And I'm very lucky that I have I have Nick and he's not just an amazing surgeon but he's a really amazing um, husband and, and dad to our kids. So we're pretty lucky. It's not to say he always gets it right, neither do I. <laughs>
0: so did you have your own practice when you were down in Sydney?
1: No, so I've always worked basically in big corporate. Yeah. And, you know, even now people say to me, oh, you know, do you think your law degree was a waste of time or your MBA was a waste of time? I say no, I use those every single day.
0: Do you know what? No, education is a waste of time. No, no. It's funny, it actually irks me sometimes, some people who – have made judgy comments to me over the years about oh why go to university it's a waste of time if you don't actually go into that profession and I'm like do you know how hard it is to actually get through a university degree do you know how disciplined you have to be you have to adhere to timelines you have to research you get all these amazing skills that okay you know what it may not necessarily be in the in the I'm field trying, in the, yeah in the field that's yeah, it definitely. But, but I'm like you learned so many awesome skills because to get actually get to the end of that degree complete it and get you know get your bachelor or or MBA whatever you have to work really hard
1: yeah so sometimes I actually say to people I don't really care like you know if I'm I'm recruiting I sort of say I don't really care what qualification you have as long as you can demonstrate to me that you're able to delay gratification long enough to get something (laughs) Yeah. because all those things that you've just said now I personally this is just my experience I think a law degree is one of the most Fabulous degrees that you can get because our society is based on law and understanding that and being able to advocate for a point of view is a life skill. It's not a legal skill. You know, I don't have to be in court to be using the skills that I've
0: got. Yeah. Did yeah. you actually go into court when you when you were a lawyer corporate lawyer in Sydney?
1: No, so I didn't practice law like that. The law that I have I have done has really been writing legislation. So part of the GST laws you can thank me for so yeah so very different to what I do now obviously Um, so really understanding the law from from that from the lawmaking perspective rather than the sort of the execution of the law and the consequences when it's not adhered to Yeah. yeah let's get soulful on social media
0: search the sister code facebook page and follow us on instagram Hey sisters, What's On Newcastle is now the place to go to check out everything that's going on in the city of Newcastle. So whether you're from out of town or Newcastle's hometown, What's On Newcastle will delight and entertain you. With a stack of the city's best entertainment options, be it theatre or sports or cinema or live music, all you need to do is just go to whatson.newcastle.newsouthwales.gov.au. Now, you said something a few minutes ago and you were talking about how, you know, you met your hubby who is a plastic surgeon, Dr Moncrief. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you probably had a particular point of view around plastic surgery. You know, he kind of went, oh, well, you're not somebody that needs it. <laughs> I reckon a lot of people probably can have quite negative judgments around plastic surgery and people who've had plastic surgery yeah definitely um you know we watch tv we watch maths and we kind of look and go oh look at those lips look (laughs) at those boobs they're overdone but it's i've noticed i've been following uh hunter plastic surgery on instagram now for a couple of years i think and the more i've seen of your posts the more It's changed my point of view around plastic surgery. Not that I was super judgmental about it anyway because I'm like, you know, do what makes you happy at the end of the day. But what I have seen are the stories that your posts tell about women who for whatever reason are really unhappy with their bodies in that they may have had children or they may have lost a lot of weight and they're not feeling good about themselves and so they go and have a mummy makeover and then you show these beautiful stories and beautiful images and told stories. And I go, wow, I can see how that empowers women to feel so much better about themselves.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I, I would sort of say, you know, I get why people will have an initial when like, and I, I meet people out and, and I say what I do and then I'm married to a plastic surgeon and I sort of see the eyes roll or whatever. I, I don't have a problem with that because I'm very confident in what we do and who we do it for. Yeah. So the stories that you're talking about, you know, we have a lot of what we call patient journey. So that's, they're usually women who have been sending us selfies, often from before surgery and then all through the surgical journey. And then we ask them if they would like to be part of one of these sort of photo shoots and we take them off and we kind of make them a model for the day. But the other really important thing is that we then show their proper clinical before and afters. So it's not just sort of the smokes and mirrors of having beautiful hair and makeup done. It's actually then you get to see the real thing. And then when you sort of hear a little bit about the why, so there was a lady a couple of weeks ago and she's on our Instagram, um, Celeste, and I, I talked with her permission about her story. Yep. Um, in fact, she then went on and did a big article in the Daily Telly and things as well, um, so she's very out there very really happy story. to tell her story, yeah. But, you know, she, she's a single mum, you know, two kids, over the years just kept putting on weight, couldn't lose it, had surgery to lose the weight, which is now very, very common, and then, you know, loved the weight loss, loved 50 kilos off, but had a lot of excess skin. And that's not an aesthetic problem. That's really a functional problem. And so what excess skin does, and look, lots of women have this sort of issue, but, you know, a lot of skin irritation underneath it. There's a a great photo of her actually in that article. And you can see she's got the Lorna Jane pants on. She actually works at Lorna Jane. She's got the Lorna Jane pants on. And you can see she's tucked all that skin in, which is not super comfortable, you know. So, yeah, so it's stories like that, bringing that to life. I get the judgment. Look, I had the judgment, so I, I get why people are like that to begin with. But if you scratch the surface, there's a lot more to it.
0: Yeah. Look, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm in my mid 40s. I get the Botox. I haven't had a boob or money mummy makeover. I get the I get the Botox because I'm like, you know what? I'm trying to fight the aging, and I'm considering now going. I was looking at I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like going, you know what? I am thinking about getting my eyelids done. Yeah, look, and, and, yeah. and it's really interesting when I talk to people about that, I'm, like, I'm thinking about getting my eyelids. I totally get two different reactions. My hubby's like, no, don't mess around with that. But other people are like, do you know what? If it makes you feel better about yourself, go for it. Well, the great thing is, Mel, we don't do eyelids. So I can
1: give you completely <laughs> my independent, yeah. I'm not trying to you know, persuade you one way or another view on it. So yeah, all, all my husband does, and we can talk about this later, but we yeah. just do breasts and tummy for women. That's what he loves. That's what we think is the biggest bang for the buck for the patient basically they are the most satisfied patients so facial procedures look it is up to you if it is something that's worrying you, and women, I'm in my mid-40s too, so yep. amongst my female friends, this is a, an ongoing thing. Everyone's like, who do we go to? Who do we go to? Who's the guy or who's the lady to go to? Yep. Um, the problem with eyelids as you get older is then it starts to droop down. If it gets bad enough, it starts to impair your vision. There's actually a Medicare item number, so you actually get a little bit back from your health fund. Nice. And Medicare <laughs> and stuff on that, like calm down, is still a fair out-of-pocket for people that you know are experts in the area. Don't go to someone that does two a year. Go to someone that does a lot, I would say, on any certain surgery plastics or otherwise you want someone that's a specialist but what sort of generally irritates people about that is that even when they've had a good night's sleep you know m- most women our age have kids that are not waking them up in the middle of the night anymore and they say even if I feel really well rested I still look tired I get a photo and I look tired and that's what they don't like. So, and then for some, where it's extreme, you don't have this yet. I'm telling you, you know, Thank with you. my with my married to a plastic surgeon, but with no medical training, I was the ducks of human biology in year twelve. But anyway, leaving <laughs> that aside, you don't have it yet. Where it's bad enough that it's resting on your eyelids, so yeah. um, so you won't get a Medicare. I don't know. Sorry, Mel.
0: Do you know what? It's for me. It's purely cosmetic. <laughs>
1: that's right. Being honest, it's purely cosmetic. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But look, if you decide to leave it another ten years you might find that it it really does actually start to impair your driving. That's often what worries people, the driving at night and things. So that's something that you can have done.
0: So you don't know this, but it would have been, I think, probably about 11 or 12 years ago, I went and had some – I just had some small little moles on my face and I went and had them – cut off under a general anaesthetic, and the plastic surgeon was your husband. Oh,
1: back in the day when we used to do a bit of everything. Yes. Yes, yes. And um, are you happy, Mel? Is this your way of getting me on and saying, <laughs> well, look, I'm still a little bit concerned?
0: <laughs> no, do you know what? Um, I was super happy, and it was one of those things It was like over the years I'd started to get just like little, just little of the, the, the skin-coloured moles or skin tags or what have you. And I think I was up to – had, I had like six on my face and it was really, really bugging me and I was really scared that they were just going to continue to grow and I would end up being hideous. Yes, I know that sounds vain but whatever. You know, it is what it is. Anyways, so I went and saw my GP and he said, well, if I was going to send my wife to have that done, I would send her to Dr. Moncrief. And it was one of the – I, I – I, so happy with the result I I felt so much better about myself afterwards and and I go we really do even though we talk about you you look shouldn't matter and they kind of do
1: yeah of course they do and look Mm. this is something that I kind of struggle with because a lot of people will say oh social media is bad and and we can talk about social media and and Mm. in our industry in a second but this is not new how women and men look this has gone on for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years right yeah so my mum grew up um, she was very beautiful and she grew up being told, don't worry, Heather, um, you're beautiful, so don't worry about school. So she left school early and did a hairdressing apprenticeship. And so I guess I've grown up with the exact opposite because she was told a man would always look after her and, and it didn't quite work out that way for my mum. And I saw my mum work very hard to then support my brother and I and I have always been determined that that wouldn't happen to me. Yeah. So I've gone the other way. So look, you know, how women look in particular... Look, there's a whole lot of feminist thinking around all this and, yes, it shouldn't matter, but biologically it kind of does. Um, And if something makes you feel better, then do it. Nick's not allowed to operate on me. Um, You're not actually supposed to operate on your spouse. And. We hear about some cases where it happens and it goes very badly, and that's a very good reminder. But when we first started dating, he actually took all my moles off my face. I was like, "You, here we go, like snap, sister, snap." (laughs) And I had one a a really big one underneath my eye, and I had one on each temple, like Frankenstein. And the one under my eye, people would always say, "Oh, you've you've spilt your mascara," and then sometimes I would accidentally scratch them and they'd bleed, and I hate it. So that was actually one of the first operations he did for me. And yes, was it aesthetic? Yeah, it was. Am I happy that? They're gone. Yeah, I am. So, yeah. do you know? I
0: agree. I was happy that mine were gone, and I felt so much better about myself afterwards because I would look in the mirror, and that's all I would see. Yeah, and I was so scared that they were going to get bigger, and they were going—I was going to get more and more of them. Which, thank goodness, I haven't had any more grow back. But yeah, it was—it used to really bother me. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to the sisterco.com So back then, Dr. Moncrief, your hubby cut my moulds off. Yeah, But now he doesn't do any of that. So why did you make the decision to specialise only in like boobs and mummy makeovers?
1: So this is the normal trajectory and look it's in many professions where someone sort of starts off early and kind of does a little bit of everything and then figures out what they love doing and what they're really passionate about and that was certainly the case for us. So you know we came, we opened up a clinic in 2009 By 2016, you know, Nick was just getting so busy on the cosmetic side. Now, I will also say, you know, because a lot of people are like, oh, well, then, you know, have you given back to the system that's you? Nick was the only plastic surgeon doing things like breast reconstruction in Newcastle in the public for the better part of 10 years. So I feel like we were doing, you know, a lot of that kind of work. He was also doing skin cancers in the public and things as well. And that contract was due up for renewal in 2017. And so we got to the end of 2016. We're trying to look forward. And I just said, look, just at the end of December, I said, look, we work so hard. And, you know, sometimes I guess there's frustrations. We're in a multi-surgeon practice. And it was like, I said, lovey, if you just had a blank sheet of paper next year, what would you do? And he just said, i just do breast and tummy. And I said, then let's make it happen. Now, look, this is a, a fairly classic story in terms of people that... Are running general kind of businesses that just say now I'm only going to sell three products and it is unnerving because you think oh that's saying goodbye to a lot of patients and you know and, and look I'll be honest and say you know part of the team was leaving too and and that was very tough but at the end of the day my primary obligation is to my husband and my children to the team that works for me and to our patients and for us this was the best decision for Nick was certainly the best decision for our whole family. And so sometimes you have to make the tough decisions to do that. doesn't make you popular with everyone, but that's life.
0: And so it's paid off?
1: Oh, my God, it has. So now Nick is known as one of the top guys in the nation for breast and body. So about 50% of our patients come from more than 50 kilometres away and then half of those are more than 100 kilometres. So we now see patients from Brisbane, Adelaide, Melbourne, Canberra. We've got a lot of patients come from Canberra. We see patients from Perth, which to me, look, I do a lot of the Instagram DMing. I respond to a lot of stuff. I do have someone that helps me, but you know, people will say, I want to come up to you and you know, how do I do it? And can I Skype consult and stuff? And we're all a bit negative about We don't really like – Nick likes to see people. You know, he likes to actually physically see what's going on and whether he can help. But I'll be, you know, DMing with people on Instagram about this and I'll say, look, between where you are and us, there's about 400 qualified plastic surgeons. You could make your life easier by choosing one of them and people will say, but I like you. And the results that I see from you I don't see from other people. So that's the amazing thing about social media, that they get to know us – before they've even met us. And on our social media, you see a lot of real results. So that's really paid off for us.
0: Yeah, can I ask a question? And um, and it's a like a, okay, a kind of technical boob job question. <laughs> all right, here we go. <laughs> so I had a friend that was interested in getting a boob job. Yeah. And she wanted implants. And she had went and saw a few different uh, plastic surgeons. And they all kind of said they wouldn't do an implant straight away, that they would do a lift first and then maybe yep. six down, six months down the track do an implant. So why is that? Because we were, co- we were talking about it and we were quite confused about what that is because I kind of thought if you wanted to go get your boobs done, you could just go in and get an implant and get your boobs done.
1: Yeah, so this is a, a really good question for the mum market. Mums and weight loss, this is an issue for them. Yep. So there's definitely surgeons that will do it in one hit and I say to people when they argue the point with us, I say go to them. Go to them, because if you believe strongly that this is the best thing for you, then you're not our patient. As a general rule, with mums and with weight loss patients, the amount of laxity, so the droopiness of the breast, means that to get an implant that will fill all that. So imagine it's like just a deflated balloon. Yep. So what you're trying to do is put enough, well, it's silicon implants, but enough kind of water in that balloon to reinflate that balloon. So when it's really droopy, you've got to imagine you've got to put a huge implant in to fill it up that ain't Moncrief magic. Yeah, And so that's not just a, a branding kind of issue that we have. You know, the, the reason that other plastic surgeons say the same thing is because then it goes to health. And as a, by and large, plastic surgeons, people that, like my husband, did sort of 14 years of training after medical school, oh, sorry, including medical school, but then they did the specialist training, as opposed to a cosmetic surgeon, which is anyone with a basic medical degree, and a lot of cosmetic surgeons will say, yep, no worries, we'll fill you right up. The problem with that, as you know, large breasts... Subject to gravity. So in three years, those implants look really low again. Okay, yes. The other big problem with really big implants is uh, the whole thing coming open. And so that's why you don't want to put a really, really big implant in someone as a general rule. Even with that laxity, it's just too many complications. You know, I've got a mate that's a physio and he said that there was, a few years ago, there was a big rush on down in Sydney, people getting these $6,000 breast implants. And he said to me, I am seeing so many of these women now with neck and back pain. And it's like, yeah, because they've now done the opposite of what happens to our breast reduction patients. They've gone and put a kilo plus on their chest which has then created neck and back pain. So the reason that they like to do it in in two stages is then you, you address that laxity, you bring the nipple up and you bring the whole sort of breast up, you wait for that to heal before you put the pressure of an implant behind because the pressure of the implant behind is going to stretch those scars. So if you try and do it all in one hit, like if you then try and do the lift and the, the implant in one hit, is that you're then putting a force of an implant behind those scars which then can often make them look really bad okay now some people say I don't care about the scars they say that until they see them
0: Until they see the scars until they see
1: the scars so it is very hard for a, a big lift with an implant behind it to have scars that become thin white lines as a general rule they look like stretched scars otherwise the other alternative is you just put an enormous implant in but then you've got the problems of an enormous implant
0: What's the biggest myth you hear about plastic surgery or boobs, myths or questions that, that you hear? Uh, I'd say the
1: biggest question that I hear and that I certainly hear my husband being asked is what should I have done? You know, I, I've been at events and things and people are like, oh, can I just go into the bathroom and can I just show your husband this? And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> you cannot. Uh, just show my husband you partly naked. No, we don't We do not do consults in bathrooms. So I guess that's a thing. And look, again, you know, going back to when Nick and I first started going out, I remember saying to him, He'd gone and done a a Botox course and I said, well, what what would you do? This is before I was like a total virgin on this stuff. And I was like, what would you do? What would you do with me? And he was like, oh, nothing. You know, you're perfect. And generally, if someone asks Nick, what should I have done? He'll say, nothing. You're perfect. No, no, no. What should I have done? And then he'll say, well, what worries you? And then, you know, you can have that conversation. But I pushed and pushed and pushed and he eventually said, well, your canine smile. And I said, what's a canine smile? And he's like, that you know, you've got a gummy smile. And I'd always thought I had a really lovely smile because I'm a very smiley person. So, yeah, so now I do have a little bit of Botox put in it to drop it so that you don't see as much of my gum when, when I smile. Yep. So, yeah, so that that's one thing. But, look, we're very regularly asked what people should have done. What are the, some of the other myths? Oh, I guess there's still that sort of thing about we were talking earlier about maths and people see characters like that and think that's what plastic surgery is. Do you know what, I
0: would agree, because unfortunately, especially on maths and a couple of the other reality TV shows, you do see some very overdone lips and boobs. Yeah,
1: you do, you do. And uh, there was a few weeks ago where there was a particular incident on that show and People were sending me DMs saying, you know, can you comment on why we can't see the nipples on this particular character in the yes. in the show? Yep. And so I actually did this big thing on my Instagram story to explain it, that basically, and and by her own admission, um, she's gone off, she's had them done in Thailand, they're sitting far too high, they haven't dropped into the pocket, so the, the, the nipple's just far too low. And so when in a low-cut dress, it looked almost like she had no nipples. They are there, they're just right at the bottom of that breast. And so, yeah, so people tend to look at that and think that's what plastic surgery is about. Yep. So I would say check out our Instagram because or our Facebook because you see it is not about that. And in fact, many of those women you would never know unless they – came out publicly and told you that they had anything done. They just feel really good about themselves. Yeah. Same sort of thing with injecting. Everyone thinks, oh, if you're gonna have injecting, it's gonna look like a character from maths. And I say not if it's done by Nurse Mel, who works yeah. you know in our team and, and it's much more subtle. Okay. So now look, at the end of the day, horses for courses, if there's no health implication from something and someone really wants quite full lips, then that's fine. Often overfilled lips do have health issues. So one of them is actually that it sort of pushes out the the soft inner part of your lip to the outside, and those people often end up with sort of very dry lips and things like that. So yeah. So there's there's sometimes a boring reason why we say no, as opposed to just a value judgment. Wanna save your soul? Review us on Apple Podcast.
0: Amber, I've known you for a few years now. You come across as a very educated confident woman and you've said self-confessed feminist yeah where do you think that came from well it's a tough one but it's not and the reason I ask that is mm. that I would say the women that I come across you know in everyday life and especially with the sister code and got your back sister is that it's a rarity many of us are struggling you know with confidence self-esteem fear and I go you are a shining light in terms of being confident and feminist yeah where did all that come from well thanks Mel that
1: is a very nice compliment I take that and that means a lot. But I think, like all of us, we're very much informed by our upbringings. So I guess watching my own mum's struggles, sort of supporting us, going back to uni herself, supporting us by cleaning other people's houses, you know, watching her experience and almost thinking, I don't want that for myself in the future and then potentially for children. I think with confidence, sometimes there is an element of it's just innate Yep. So I remember as a as a quite a young kid being asked to present at assemblies and that sort of thing because I was always a little bit extroverted. I would say practice. <laughs> so yep. because I do a fair bit of speaking and and things like that, I'm not frightened of doing it. It's not to say I don't get nervous, but I just once it starts, I roll into it. I mean, this sounds bizarre, but I also think being tall helps. So people don't sort of stand over me. I don't feel that kind of intimidation. And yeah. I think I've worked in some really male dominated kind of environments. Politics is is very, at times very blokey and certainly banking, dealing with financial advisors and things. And I just don't put up with shit from anybody. So, you know, being bright, being educated means I kind of feel like I have a few runs on the board with that sort of stuff. But I try to instill that With young women and things which is so important look it is and just for people to see role models that out there and doing it and even though I don't have daughters myself you know I have that sort of role with a number of my friends daughters and in in fact one of them told me this week I was out we actually at at a women's refuge and she said to me that her daughter said something to the effect of I think Amber Moncrief should have been my mother and it it sort of hit because I remember saying things like that about another mum when I was at school because she was exactly the opposite So she was the mum that would pick the kids up, had multiple types of cakes and biscuits every afternoon and I remember saying to my mum, I wish that girl's mum was my mum and that hurting my mum. And it's almost that you sort of react to what you see and then you try and do the opposite, isn't it? So to me, feminism means... That everyone has an equal opportunity to do well, to do badly, to be a nice person, to not be a nice person. But gender shouldn't play a part in those sort of opportunities. And so when I speak to, to girls or to young women, that's how I approach it. There should be no limits on you based on your gender. So,
0: Well, I wish I had known you when I was in my 20s um, because I worked for uh, development and one of the joint venture partners was a bank. It was Macquarie Bank oh, and I yeah. used to have to sit in on joint venture meetings and the number of times I left in tears and I, you know, I was in my, I think I was 27 and you know, I was sitting at a table with 60-year-old men who would speak down to me, would actually say horrible things about other women in the organisation. I remember once being in Brisbane and one of the bankers called me because I'd accidentally, I'd spelt his name wrong in an email so he called me and tore strips off me and I remember standing on the side of the road in Brisbane sobbing to the point I had snot running down <laughs> and, a, and a guy walked past me and he was like "You okay what can I do it was like somebody had died and I remember just living in a constant fear of state and anxiety while I worked in that job so for you to have worked in the banking industry and I imagine that that kind of culture and misogyny I don't think it was necessarily just in the one bank that we worked with in that joint venture. No, I
1: think Mac Bank did have a a, a a special reputation put it that way but yeah. They're a bunch of bankers. <laughs> <Are> they sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know funnily, funnily enough I went to Necker Island a few years ago and one of the with a group of people with business chicks and one of the couples there husband and wife the husband was one of the founders of Macquarie Bank. And we were chatting and I told him about that. I said how how horrible some of those older men were in their 60s were, were to me and would have me in tears constantly. And he was appalled. And so he was leaving Nick Island to go on a Buddhist retreat. He was all Zen, light and love. Mm. <laughs> and he was appalled. I remember he kind of said, oh, look, I'm sorry that happened to you and I'm appalled that anybody from the bank would have treated you that way. But still, you know, I'm like hats off to you that you worked in the banking industry And I know for me how traumatic that was. Yeah, look, uh,
1: yeah, there's definitely those characters. I personally don't look back at my career and think I was subject to misogyny very often. And that might just be that I had my blinkers on and I just didn't care that much because I worked for some amazing female bosses and I worked for some amazing male bosses and I would say in equal numbers and I and I had some appalling female bosses and I had some appalling male bosses so for me I had some some great guys that actually really sort of sponsored me and really kind of pushed for me to to get promotions and things like that so a couple of points there one I think not that women have to work harder but they sort of have to and I also think you need to Read your audience in anything, right? So for me, I remember I was given a promotion and then the the girl that worked in my team approached me and she said, why haven't you acted me now in your old role? And I said, look, do you want me to tell you really honestly? And she said, yeah. And I said, because... I'll be really frank with you. you you've got a few things against you in this environment you are attractive you are young you are blonde and every time the senior guys walk past you're making a joke and having a laugh and mucking around with other people and I said you have the IQ to do this but you need to look at how you position yourself what sort of what external view there is on you because I don't think I dressed in a particularly dowdy way. Some of my former colleagues might argue that the constant sort of cycle of country road suits with pants was not <laughs> glamorous enough. But I tried to have a seat at that table by being kind of what was expected. And 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 mm. it's not putting it on it. I mean I am legitimately a rule following kind of person. I am someone that works incredibly hard. I don't turn up to meetings not having any idea what's going on and faff around and, and not have a pen that works. You know, people turn up to meetings in my team and I say, why don't you have a pen? You know, come on guys, like Hmm. you know I mean it's a Richard Branson thing he says you know I'd rather you have a short pencil than a long memory like I know you'll get something done if you've written it down but please don't come to a meeting and nod and smile at me and then have no idea so yeah so those sorts of things and I think I had a really good boss that said to me so I was working in the bank and she said oh you know we'd have these performance reviews and she said you need an MBA I was like oh I've got a law degree and a commerce degree. I don't need an MBA. And she said, no, not for the job you're doing now, the job you want in five years. And she said, hurry up and do it before you have kids. And I said, oh, I don't even have a boyfriend. You know, how am I going to, you know. She goes, oh, you might find someone doing your MBA. It didn't quite work out that way. But she was absolutely right. Giving me a seat at that table when you can talk the same language as these hardcore business guys is really important. So those sorts of things, yeah, just working really hard, kind of fitting in like in yep. terms of how you dress and things and then get some runs on the board, the qualifications, the, the thing that lets you speak the same language.
0: That's some really great tips for younger women and um, who are building a career. And I wish I had had you around with me back then. Although in saying that, do you know what? After I ended up leaving that job, I remember going, I would never let that happen to me again and it never did.
1: So when bad things happen, you know, mm. that that's what it is. And we've all had those... Situations where you're like, oh my God, that was a waste of blah, blah. But it isn't because then it yep. informs who you are now and look at what you do now and it's amazing. So
0: yep.
1: it's not like you allowed it to make you fall in a big heap.
0: Amber, I saw recently on social media that you were over in America. Yes, with Jess, I think. Uh,
1: well, actually, it was Alicia. So, um, yeah, so, well, it ended up being Alicia and my mum, but <laughs> I'll explain why in a sec.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you were over there. I was following your trip with Envy, New York, and then Vegas. And you guys won some pretty awesome awards over there.
1: Yeah, so look, we um, we actually won 10 global awards in 10 days, so it was pretty intense.
0: The that is intense, 10 global awards in 10 yeah. days, yeah.
1: So the, the Vegas ones we actually didn't have to be there for, so we'd actually flown home uh, when we got those, which was amazing, but... With with the New York trip, so it was a thing called the Stevie's Awards for Women, and I had seen a colleague of mine had entered them, and I thought, oh, let's have a look at what this is, and we actually entered for best small business management team globally, and so something like 30 countries entered, and I entered for Jess, who's been with us for 10 years, so she is our amazing practice manager and one of our team who is about to, as of five o'clock today, steps into Jess's role because Jess is just about to have a baby. Wow. She's thirty-eight weeks pregnant. So for the three of us, basically, as this management team, and we were finalists and we won it. Congratulations! Um, so that was that was really amazing. Unfortunately, the day before Jess had, had some health issues and couldn't fly. Oh
0: no! So as you
1: can imagine, she was fairly fairly devastated. But to me, that was amazing because I guess there's some issues, you know, when you. There's a thing about I'm a plastic surgeon's wife and when I married Nick obviously we moved up here I gave away my surname my maiden name was Saggers so you can imagine why in our industry I chose to get rid of Saggers. Yeah (laughs) so yeah a, a lifetime of or childhood of being bullied over that but it is hard to sort of find your own identity when you have a big change like that and to me, in some ways, winning awards, which is sort of about myself and the team that I lead, is, gee, it's affirming. So that was amazing and it really does reflect the investment that we make in, in our team, you know. Um, we give them lots of opportunities, we do a lot of training and we really focus on, on developing them. And so now we're in a position where Jess goes off, has her baby? You know, the plan is that within four months she'll be back at least one or two days a week. But Alicia, it's, I've given Alicia that opportunity and that training so that she's able to step up into that role because that's not a that's not a muck around fluffy job. That is a yeah. tough, tough job. You know, we operate on over three hundred women a year, so that's a that's a busy program, and every one of those women has to feel like they're the only woman that we're operating on.
0: And you guys do a really great job.
1: Well, thank you. So yeah, so that was that was what that was all about. Um, and then because obviously Jess was sick. My mum came, which was pretty special. I think, you know, seeing your daughter winning an award in New York was a bit of a thing. You know, I could see mum putting stuff on
0: Facebook. So she was she was yep. proud too. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So Amber, I mean, you've had a very full, interesting life. Yeah, I think so. What are some of the key things that you've learned?
1: I take opportunities and I position myself so that If an opportunity comes up, I'm able to do it. And, you know, I grew up in Perth. I had the opportunity to move to Canberra and, you know, work in the tax office and then did some travel, came back, saw an ad working in politics, took it, then got sick of living in Canberra, moved to Sydney. So I I think, you know, I am someone that says yes to things, but I also am very mindful that, you know, the, the journey was really always about what I wanted to do. I didn't sort of see my success... As being attached to somebody else and I guess that's why when Nick and I met in our mid-30s you know I had a very sort of established career and I think that that was probably a good time for us to meet so yeah so I would say that and then I think being a mum is definitely my most important role and it's the thing that I'm most fulfilled and frustrated by I'll be honest it is, <laughs> it is sometimes difficult for type A personalities I think to sort of fall into that thing because success with children is not linear yeah, so I feel like sometimes like I put in so much effort and you little fuggers, um, you know, and, and they've done something to each other or they've, they've wrecked something in the house or I hear about some bad behaviour at school or whatever and I think, oh my goodness. But yeah, so for me, I'm glad I've had that opportunity to be a mum and I have been able to balance it with the demands of running a really busy practice. And so best piece of advice an old male boss gave to me so I was probably in my early 30s and he said to me, Amber, climb as high as you can before you have kids. So similar to the MBA thing because it gives you the flexibility to then raise a family and and still be involved and interested in what you're doing. And, again, I would say that that is really good advice. In saying that, I know lots of young people that had kids in their mid-20s and I'm very jealous of them now because those kids have gone off and they're doing fabulous things and mum and dad are enjoying their mid-40s without necessarily you know the burden of like me this morning trying to polish shoes because I suddenly realised it was you know school photo day and wiping clothes uniforms with the tea towel because I've realised that there's stains and we're about to have to get out the door and all that sort of stuff so sometimes doing that in your mid-40s is
0: a bit harder. (laughs) Absolutely well look thank you so much for joining me in the podcast station today. My absolute pleasure. If people want to find out more about Hunter Plastic Surgery or yourself how can they do that?
1: Well definitely our website so hunterplasticsurgery.com.au and the same thing for Instagram or Facebook. I personally am a big social media user because I really like that it's it's interactive and it's it's fresh as opposed to a website and saying that our website our new one's only well, not even six months old but yeah I would say check us out on social media Instagram or Facey.
0: Well thank you so much for coming. My great pleasure. Thanks Mel.
1: Thanks for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help you on your crazy life
0: journey?
1: Email melissa at thesisterco.com
0: Today's episode of Hey Soul Sister podcast was brought to you by What's On Newcastle, the website from the City of Newcastle that gives you all the great information of the exciting things that are going on in our city. All you need to do is go to whatson.newcastle.nsw.gov.au.